Welcome back to the second in a series of podcasts called Dollars and Cents for the Nomad and everyone else who cares, those of you, the 180 million Americans who don't have billion dollar businesses or million dollar businesses who are significantly exposed to ups and downs in the United States uh, economic picture. I've started and stopped this podcast several times. I could go into a lot of depth at the beginning explaining what I'm going to do. I'm not doing that. If you want to get some perspective, I strongly suggest you listen to podcast 1069. And then I strongly suggest you listen to the previous podcast in this series, which is part one of Dollars and Cents for the Nomad podcast 1101. So we're going to jump in here shortly with the latest leading economic data for the United States. First, I want to recognize a great sponsor of the Bob Davis Podcast, Ryan Plumbing and Heating in St. Paul. So if you're in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area for home or business, when it comes to keeping all of your systems running right, especially at home or your business, if you have plumbing or heating problems or air conditioning problems, if you're doing construction, you want reliable service, that means Ryan Plumbing and Heating in St. Paul, 651-224-4771 in Minneapolis, 612-927-6488. They've been in st paul on university avenue for 70 years now what do they do they do quality replacement and repair of all plumbing heating and air conditioning systems the thing is there's not much that you're going to throw at them that they have not seen and that's really important when it comes to uh the the plumbing business and when you select a plumber they've got to have the experience and ryan does so one of the things that we often talk about when i talk to greg ryan Uh, They are finding that a lot of businesses are struggling because you don't think too much of the bathrooms in your plant or the bathrooms in your business. But a lot of times you're getting killed on the water bill because water is getting more expensive and you're, you're getting killed because the efficiency of the toilets and the sinks and everything else aren't real good. So replacing the toilets and the sinks, and you could do this at your home as well if you live in a 100-year-old home. That stuff, your systems are 100 years old. So if you replace that stuff with new stuff, it's going to be a lot more efficient and you will save money on water. Ryan Plumbing and Heating in St. Paul. Remember, check them out online at ryanplumbing.com. Call them at 651-224-4771 in Minneapolis, 612-927-6488. Ryan Plumbing. So I'm going to give you a series of facts. Now, when I say facts, they are leading indicators. They are the output of various government agencies and other agencies that look at numbers. They are leading indicators because they have stood the test of time uh, in terms of uh, business analysts and economists looking at this data. So we're going to start with the big one, the conference board leading indicators year over year says that economic activity in the United States is down 4.4% from October of 2022 and April of 23. This is a steeper decline than its 3.8% contraction over the previous six months. You hear a lot about employment these days. We're at full employment, everything is great. So let's talk about hours worked. The average work week for Americans fell slightly to 34.3 hours in May of 2023, which is below market forecasts of 34.4. This also, this number uh, marked a slight retreat from 34.4 hours in the prior two months. So hours worked are declining. Now I do have to tell you what this means. Generally, it's held that this means that businesses do not want to lay people off, so they start reducing the number of hours that people are working. 
in order to sort of get a handle on employment costs without having to take the, the step of laying people off. It's not because they're wonderful people. It's because if you lay people off, then you have to bring them back. You have to play, pay unemployment, which doesn't do anything for you. And you uh, have to bring people back later and retrain them, and it's, it's a high cost. And since we just did that about two years ago, uh, businesses don't want to do that again. So they will reduce hours rather than uh, start laying people off. But if it gets worse, then you'll, you will see people starting to be laid off. So generally speaking, falling hours worked can be an indication that the labor market is softening. We all know we have a thing called inflation. But one of the things that you're going to hear in the mainstream media is that people are they're getting paid more now than they ever have been. And you hear all these uh, anecdotal stories like, you know, I can't believe they're paying $23 an hour at the truck stop to clean toilets. That's ridiculous. But that's what it's taking. And so everyone assumes that the American worker is rolling in cash. But the average hourly earnings for most people in the United States increased by 4.3% year-on-year in May of 2023. That's slightly down from 4.4% in the prior month. Uh, But remember that inflation has been running at 4.8%, 5%, 8%, 9% going back to last year. So we're trying to catch up. So basically, what this tells you is that most people are not, when it comes to income, they are not keeping pace with inflation. Uh, again, with inflation somewhere around 4 8 to 5%, what people are getting paid is not keeping up with that rate, even as it starts to come down. Especially when you consider the highest inflation in late 22 and early 23. Now, according to the Consumer Price Index, food, shelter, and energy inflation remains higher than the total. However, the Zillow Rent Index, considered a leading indicator says rents are decreasing fairly quickly from the 2022 high. Keep in mind, thousands of rental units are being constructed or just being finished, and they are in the pipeline and coming online for the near future. And so because the supply of apartments is increasing, maybe that's one of the reasons rents are decreasing. Year over year, it's a big decline, and the Consumer Price Index has not picked this up. According to CPI, shelter is still uh, elevated in terms of uh, the inflation. I want to make another quick point because I won't be able to get to this at the end. So if you're thinking about investing in apartment buildings, that is not a good number. You don't want to hear that number. You want to hear that rents are increasing. And if you are looking at the CPI and making a decision about investing in an apartment building, you may think rents are increasing and everything is fine. But according to that Zillow rent report, considered a leading indicator, uh, if you look at it on a chart, and I will put links to all these charts uh, on the blog at the bobdavispodcast.com it's pretty significant uh, in terms of the decline the producer price index the ppi is a leading indicator of consumer price inflation which accounts for the majority of overall inflation since a good like 68 to 70 percent of our economy is consumers The PPI measures the change in the price of goods sold by manufacturers, and it has been declining for a while. And it speaks to the case for disinflation, which I'll define later, and ultimately deflation, which we nomads think is good because we consume a lot of fuel and food. These are also some of the data which suggest we are moving quickly through disinflation to perhaps deflation, and that... uh, these are basically recessionary indicators. Even more, 
Commercial real estate loans have been declining since the third quarter of 2022. They are not increasing, which means people applying for loans to buy commercial real estate are not, are not, they're not applying for loans. You're seeing a continued decrease in those numbers. Defaults on commercial real estate loans have surged to a 14-year high. You are beginning to see news stories about how companies are just walking in and handing the banks the keys. This has a significant effect on the banks. So you might think that's great, but what we are seeing is a jump in distressed debt could prove ominous for landlords and banks that loan to them. You will also see stories, and I have to add this, that uh, this is a great time to buy commercial real estate because these guys are basically defaulting and that means prices are going down. Well, the thing is, if we are headed in a cycle downward, well, you don't know where the bottom is. So what this does is this puts a lot of um, distressed properties on bank rolls and it affects the health of banks, especially when people are withdrawing their deposits to get higher interest rates in money markets or buying treasury bills. And it's not just commercial real estate. Mortgage loan applications are down 31% and refinance applications are down 45% year over year. And finally, when it comes to real estate housing, the Case-Shiller Home Price Index dropped 1.1% in May. No big deal, right? Oh, well, I don't know why you're up all freaked out about 1% down. So the case show index is pretty stable. And this is the first decline in home prices since 2012. Uh, even worse, the index has been declining for several quarters. So case shiller is basically the top 20 major markets for real estate. Now, you know, uh, obviously, depending on where you are, circumstances may differ. But I think what it indicates is a softening in mortgage, mortgage applications and in home prices. That's good if you're looking for a house, but it's also not good because how do you know where the bottom is? Let's look at manufacturing indices. So with all of these manufacturing and service indexes, uh, 50 is considered neutral, a number 50, a ratio of 50 is considered neutral, below 50 is contracting, above 50 is expanding. These are indexes, these aren't percentages. So the ISM manufacturing PMI in the United States fell 46.9 in May of 23 from 47.1 in April compared to forecasts of uh, 47. We are seeing consistently these groups, uh, banks, uh, investment communities will make forecasts and we blow through the forecasts on the downside. Lots of talk about energy these days. Uh, recently and today, as I speak, the Saudis have... Uh, cut back about a million barrels of production. Uh, so you're hearing a lot of talk about the price of oil going up and you're hearing a lot of projections from the International Energy Agency suggesting that there's increasing demand and decreasing supply. They've been telling us this for weeks, but U.S. crude oil inventories rose by 4.48 million barrels in the week ending May 26th, uh, 2023 compared with market expectations of a 1.3 million draw. So that's a big that's a big space right there between what they projected and what actually is happening. So the explanation is, quote unquote, suddenly there is a weaker than expected economic demand situation in China and Japan. And that is suggesting uh, that we are offsetting the forecast of higher global demand from the International Energy Agency. That's a nice way of putting it. Uh, but really what that means is they got it wrong and they really got it wrong now 
One of the reasons they got it wrong is, and if you watch mainstream business television, you've been hearing all kinds of talk about the wishing and hoping about China uh, roaring back from its COVID zero shutdown to save the economy. And it hasn't been happening. And I don't have time to get into uh, the Chinese situation. China is in serious trouble for many, many reasons. And we're going to talk about that probably someday in another podcast. I can't get into that now. Let's talk about corporate earnings anxiety. Uh, you may have often heard uh, watching Bloomberg or CNBC or CNN or Fox News business or something about corporate earnings. And then you get these people on and they spit out a bunch of numbers and, oh, this is happening and, oh, that is happening. Companies are in the midst of an earnings recession. Not my words, but the words of journalists and coverage. And the reason they say that is profits have contracted for two straight quarters, starting with a 4.6% drop at the end of 2022. For example, uh, Walmart's earning per share for the quarter ending April 30th was down 0.62, which was a 16% decline year over year. And then just last week, we had these stories about Macy's, Costco, and other big chains that say shoppers are pulling back at their stores and changing what they buy. And I love the guidance that is offered often offered by these corporate uh, you know, PR people. Uh, Macy's cut its annual profit and sales forecast after customer demand slowed. When they have to say it, it's bad. Quote, the U.S. consumer, particularly at Macy's, pulled back more than we anticipated, unquote. In other words, we screwed up. We told you that it was going to be great, and it isn't. And then they say that customers, quote unquote, reallocated spending to food, essentials, and services. Rich people, according to some, are going to Walmart to buy cheap groceries. And my understanding is that the big inventories in retail are still dogging retailers. So not only are they losing business, but they have huge inventories to get rid of. And to that Total customer credit in the U.S. rose $26.5 billion in March of 23, after a $15 billion increase in the previous month, well above market expectations. Again, back to expectations and rosy projections. By the way, average credit card interest rates in America are about 23-24%, the highest since certain uh, indices began tracking them back in 2019. Uh, I'm not going to throw it in as a fact because I, I, I think it's a little, you know, it's a little alarmist, but the 90-day delinquency rate on consumer credit is also increasing. Another weird but favorite leading indicator is the Baltic Shipping Index, $11,000 to $1,400 to ship a container. Let me repeat that. Back in the day, in, uh, you know, a year ago or so, when everyone was freaking about the, about the supply chain, it cost $11,000, maybe even more, to ship a container from the Far East to uh, you know ports in the Western United States. And now it's $1,400. They just recently interviewed uh, supply chain professionals. 54% of them said that they're preparing for a major economic headwind in the second half of 23. 54% do not see any rise in uh, consumer demand. 54% of the managers said that they don't see any rise in demand for their business yet for the inter-Asia route. What does that mean? And again, I don't want to editorialize too much because it takes too much time. It means people aren't buying stuff from Asia. They're basically buying essentials. Now, just very quickly, I want to talk about growth. The U.S. GDP growth rate, this is the number that everyone uses. This is a nominal GDP 
revised to 1.3 or 1.6, depending on where you look, because I don't know which revision we're on. Each GDP sequence gets three revisions. On the other hand, nominal GDP is the total value of all goods and services produced in a given time period, usually quarterly or annually. Real GDP is nominal GDP adjusted for inflation. Now, again, these are terms you have to look up. I've looked them up, so I understand what they say. Real GDP is used to measure the actual growth of production without any distorting effects from inflation. Real GDP, therefore, is a better forward indicator. And guess what? Real GDP has been in a clear downward trend over the last three or four quarters. I don't believe it shows contraction, but it is a worse figure in terms of uh, rosy predictions than um, nominal GDP. So after, uh, in the second half, the final half of this podcast and the final half of this series, I'm going to give you the, I'm going to give you the signal that you really should be looking at and make some concluding remarks. First of all, I really appreciate the people that are helping me out at the BobDavisPodcasts.com by making contributions. Matt Ashley, thanks. I think it was 50 bucks. Really appreciate that. I got a long list of people, which I do not have in front of me, but I'm looking at notes on the phone, so I'm going to have to get the people that have been contributing lately if you want to do that you go to the bobdavispodcast.com look for the picture of mobile podcast command you'll see a big yellow donate oval click on that that takes you to paypal you can do a monthly thing of five or ten bucks or you can give me whatever you want to give me i appreciate it It goes right in the diesel tank and that's the main thing and thank you and speaking of fuel i got to thank my guys again at 36 lynn the independently owned and operated refueling station in south minneapolis at 36th street south and lindale avenue south what gas station has fresh peaches i just saw a thing on instagram they have a great ig feed if you want to look them up it's 30 it's 36 lynn and they just announced we have peaches fresh peach like just picked fresh peaches almost said pizzas but they have pizza too they have all kinds of great food locally sourced products in the store check them out online at 36lin.com or click on their banner at the top of the page the bobdavispodcast.com all right this is very important in the words of john hopkins economist stephen hankey there is a lot of noise when it comes to economic numbers and predictions editorializations and you know flights of fancy there's a lot of noise And so you have to tune out the noise. And he says, there is the signal. Now, why is he important? Why is Stephen Hanke important? Because his signal accurately predicted the inflation that occurred from an enormous growth in money supply uh, last year and from 2020 to 2022 before the Federal Reserve started uh, quantitative tightening, which I'll explain shortly very quickly. So the signal is the U.S. money supply, primarily M2, but there's also M1 and other metrics that include all digital money since not everyone uses cash. Now, I'm not talking about crypto, but digital payment transfers for things like houses and big pieces of equipment and so forth. M2 is a measure of the money supply that includes cash, checking deposits, and other types of deposits that are readily convertible into cash, checking and savings account deposits only. So the M2 kind of covers everything. The weekly M2 and M1 numbers are closely monitored as indicators of the overall money supply. Too fast growth in the numbers can be a warning sign of inflation. Uh, They don't publish M1 anymore, so it takes some work to find it, but M1 is uh, declining right now at about 9%. M2 is declining, uh, I should say contracting at about 5%. 
other forms of cash, uh, which I think is OPL. I don't know if that's the right uh, term, but I can't find it. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt. But other forms of cash money are declining along a similar path on a chart. Um, what does that mean? Well, when we talk about contracting M2, this is the most that we have seen for M2 contraction since 1929. So it's pretty significant. So when we look at M2 as a predictor, we saw huge, and I do mean huge, growth in the money supply from 2020 and also years of growth in the money supply from quantitative easing by the Federal Reserve since 2008. So this is what caused the inflation. It was not a supply shock. This is very important as well. The mainstream, Main Street view is we have had the recession. Now it's time to expand your business, borrow money, because it's over. And the basis of this is basically uh, the first two months of 2023 contracting. And aside from the fact that it's shocking, considering what I've just told you in this podcast, I wondered, well, are, Bob Davis, are you missing something? So I went back through all the data, and that's where I ended up with a great deal of these uh, leading indicators. There's plenty more. I just think a lot of them are kind of shaky, and, and it's alarmist to throw them all in, and it would take three podcasts to do that. Finally, a lot of energy is expended in the financial and mainstream media telling people what the Federal Reserve is going to do. And I don't know what the Federal Reserve is going to do. You don't know what the Federal Reserve is going to do. But I will tell you that they look at lagging indicators. And I think I know why, and I actually agree with it. They look at CPI and unemployment. Uh, Chairman Powell really likes the jolts, which is basically job openings. The CPI continues to show inflation at around 5%. It is elevated for food and fuel and housing. Employment continues to be strong, even with a slight increase in unemployment applications last month. Even with hours work reducing and pay not keeping up with inflation, there's room in the Fed's calculations to continue to raise interest rates. This is primarily where the Pollyannas say that the Fed needs to pivot, they're going to lower rates, and everything's going to be fine. Now, historically, the Fed overshoots. On the low end, they keep rates too low for too long, and they include quantitative easing, which is a tool of buying securities and other uh, MBS, uh, corporate securities and treasury bonds to keep the system liquid. And they, they overshoot on the low end. And then they are forced to raise rates too quickly, uh, keeping them high too long and going into quantitative tightening, which is basically allowing the securities on the Fed's balance sheet, which is a bank of last resort. That's all it is uh, to mature. And that pulls money out of the system. These policy mistakes have serious consequences in uh, distorting the business cycles, which I'm going to talk briefly about before I get done. And that means pain and death and sickness and loss of hope in life. And people, especially small business people that are caught in this, not just to mention all the other people, find it very difficult to adapt to conditions when, when the business, let's say, that you have fought for and worked hard for all of your lives and the business that your grandfather and your father worked for all of their lives, uh, when you find it impossible to adapt to economic conditions and you lose the business, you see that failed policy has serious consequences. The, the Pollyanna always says, well, we'll adapt. It's going to get easier. Don't worry. Things will get better. But if you don't think that you have time, and I put that in quotes, to analyze the macro side of the economy, literally, this is what we should be doing most of the time. This is, this is literally sticking to the knitting so, so that we can stay ahead of the curve and understand recessions aren't necessarily bad. 
you know, I've noticed when I watch the media and I watch stuff on television, I keep seeing these guys freaking out. YouTube, I watch a lot of YouTube too. Freaking out because there's going to be a recession suddenly. And there's a thing called the business cycle. Now, Dr. Lacey Hunt uh, talks about uh, the business cycles. And he says clearly, Dr. Lacey Hunt has is, is been in the banking business for 54 years. He's a Fed president. He's a professor. Uh, I think at the University of Texas, Austin, you know, he says cycles are not synchronized. So if you think of business cycles as a wave, the first wave down is financial, then the GDP, and then you see the consumer uh, being hit. So we are seeing the financial side in, in the short term, and I'm not talking about markets, I'm talking about banks being under some level of stress. You will see it and we're beginning to see it with the GDP. I mean, 1.1% growth with 5% inflation is not good news. Uh, and then you'll see the consumer begin to pull back. And some of that stuff is happening, but you, those things will hit in waves, according to Lacey Hunt. And of course, this is not a podcast about the markets. But when you're climbing up the mountain, you get peaks and valleys on the way up. But you hang on because you're going up the mountain. When you're coming back down, what are you doing? You're grabbing hold of every stick and rock to give you a foothold until the sand gives way and you tumble all the way down. That is the capitulation phase. Then we get into the trough, and the trough is when all three of those business cycles are down at the bottom of where they're going to be. Now, if you listen to macroeconomists, they'll give you metrics for how far down it's going to go. I don't have time for that, and really I don't understand them. But... The stock market is interesting because the big money got out in January of 23. Some have come back in to buy the dips, but most of the big money was out and is out when everyone got out uh, into uh, the top of the market in January of 23. They bought at the bottom in 2020. So the key thing here is you have to wait for the trough. And the right question to ask is, especially if you're thinking about investing, is there blood in the streets? That is such a great question. Is there blood in the streets yet? And the answer is, Hardly. Things are rough, but we do not have blood in the streets yet. Most of the financial coverage we see now actually dates back to the 2023 storyline, which is we're not going to have a recession. They won't keep raising rates. You're raining on the parade. You're going to talk us into a recession. You Cassandras, we've heard it all before. Well, those are shibboleths because the mainstream view from the New York Times, Fox Business News, CNN Business, CNBC, Bloomberg, even sometimes the Wall Street Journal or Barron's, is the widely accepted view circa late December of 22 and Jan Feb of 23. For example, the Fed can't keep raising interest rates, but they did and they are. So the key piece of advice here is we're going down. This is not these are not the signs of a of a healthy economy. Could it recover? Could these numbers change and start going up? Yeah. I mean, that's why I'm not going to tell you what's going to happen, but these are not uh, rosy predictions. We have to be ready for the trough, and we have to try to determine when and where the trough is. Finally, very quickly, quantitative easing and quantitative tightening. This involves the money supply. So quantitative easing is when interest rates are near zero and they want to get below zero. So what they do is the Federal Reserve starts buying um, treasury bills, uh, corporate securities, and mortgage-backed securities. And that injects capital, or I shouldn't say capital, it injects liquidity into the banking system. Banks then loan money out and they, they're not as worried. It's, uh, it's called zero-bound interest rates. 
we have moved from zero about interest rates to near 5%, well, near 6% interest rates, and we have stopped quantitative easing. It started in June of last year. It is fully spun up. Quantitative tightening is that's $95 billion a month of spending by the Fed in reverse. So they're letting securities to the tune of about $95 billion a month come off of their balance sheets, which removes liquidity from the system. So buying support for bonds, corporate securities, and MBSs is gone and going in reverse. And this is what's causing the strain in banks because banks are configured for 0% interest rates, not for 5% interest rates. So with QT and interest rates rising, it's putting a tremendous amount of pressure on banks and commercial real estate companies and so forth. And you're starting to see defaults, which would be part of the first wave of a cyclical downturn, the first phase. More banks in trouble, band-aids on it for now, people walking around saying everything is great, don't worry about it, uh, whistling literally past the graveyard. So there's two terms to get comfortable with. Disinflation, which is a decrease in the rate of inflation, uh, or a decrease of inflation within the rate of inflation, basically. Uh, and again, you heard what I said about you know, the CPI. We're still elevated, and that's what the Fed is looking at. They're looking at backward indicators. Deflation is a general and prolonged reduction in the prices of goods and services in the general domestic product. We nomads are rooting for deflation because it means cheaper fuel and cheaper food. Inflation is a cancer that eats away at the social fiber of the country and the economy. We've had low-grade inflation for years, and it got out of control when we went through the pandemic. Does anyone wonder why it seems like people in the last few months and years have lost their minds? A lot of it might just be the pressure of inflation because you stop living for tomorrow. And it is the most pernicious economic condition. So. I think the central bank has to do whatever they have to do to kill inflation. And if that means they have to look at backward indicators, they're going to do that. If that means they have to cause a recession, they're going to do that. And I support it because we need to kill this this inflation off and we need to stop this mental connection in the markets to whatever the Fed does. And I think that's really the target of what they're trying to do. After all is said and done and the stimulus money is gone and people have gone to credit cards, The beatings will continue until the attitude changes. So when you add all this up and you talk about the trough, just remember, in order to sell, someone has to be buying. If people stop buying, there's nothing to sell. And then that is what kills businesses. That's the dynamic that is operating. When you add this all up, in my opinion, we're in a key moment in history. In it. We're not coming onto it. We're not approaching it. We're in it significant developments in science and technology and foreign affairs, building uh, the base of the next uh, industrial revolution, so to speak, the fourth industrial revolution. And the volatility with all this could end up being very, very serious. And I think it is time, my own personal opinion is, this is the time to husband resources and stay in cash and be ready rather than spending the seed corn to buy an apartment building or commercial real estate property or to buy a new car or even a new house. And that is probably very much a Cassandra bear negative statement. I don't see it that way. I I see recessions as very positive. In fact, in my life, I've always done well in recessions. So it doesn't mean it's the end of the world. It just means these are part, this is part of the cycle of life, literally the economic cycle. People live, you know, they get old and they die. You know, business expansions live, they get old and they die. And when they die, you have to go through that whole process 
to restart everything. And new companies get started in recessions that are that turn out to be tremendous. Old companies that uh, seemed as though they could never go away go away in a shock, and people freak out. But this is part of life. Now, before I move on, let me just quickly say. If you would like to have a respite from all this insanity and you want a nice quiet place where you can sit, you want some kind of a garden, don't forget Garden Gurus MN can help you with that. I love having uh, basically a landscaping sponsor, but what they do are specifically gardens. They do corporate clients. If you go to their IG feed, Garden Gurus MN, you're going to see some of the houses they've done, some of the businesses they've done, and they have very reasonable rates, and they will explain to you why. So it's not something you're going to spend a lot of money on. Again, what can I do right now that's not super expensive that's really going to help my peace of mind? GardenGurusMN.com. This was hard for me because it's much easier for me to talk about the philosophy of what's going on and much more difficult for me to just stick to... uh, you know, what would you call them? Uh, e- economic, uh, the economic dashboard, and especially the forward indicators. This is not to say that this is baked in the cake, but that is what you will hear from a lot of Cassandra uh, uh, analysts who will say there's no way getting around a recession. Some will say it's going to be significant. Others will say we don't know. I will say that if we start to get a significant deflation. You know, the problem in 1931, 32, 33 was they had this deflation and it started, uh, it's like a stroke and it shuts down the economic brain. It kills off companies and because there's no buyers for whatever you're making. You know, all the Duesenbergs that people bought in the 30s were made in 1928. I don't know if you know that or not. That's an example. And Duesenberg went out of business, basically. They didn't make any more cars after that. So, Deflations can be very serious because it's hard to stop deflation. In the mean, in, in that sort of sweet spot between disinflation, inflation, and deflation, uh, you, the average person has more resources until they start losing their job because basically inflation, disinflation, deflation equals recession. They didn't call it the Depression during the Depression. They called it a recession. And it was actually a series of recessions because of policy mistakes. I don't need to get into that in detail. I just feel like this is a turning point. And so that's why I did these two podcasts. They're great to use to think about what you're thinking about when it comes to these numbers. If you're a small business person, look closer. If you're a big business person, you're already doing that. If you're an analyst, you're already doing that. And most of them are kind of worried. And that's all I'll say. Thanks for listening to Podcast 1102, the Bob Davis Podcast, Dollars and Cents for the Nomad and anyone else who cares. Uh, And we're done with this for a while. We're going to let this sit. I'll come back in six months and do another one. Get back to the travel vibe. Beautiful day here on the lake. Thanks for listening. Thanks for subscribing. Doing all the things. Thanks, especially you guys on Google Podcasts. That is blowing up. And thank you. Look for my stuff on YouTube as well, the Bob Davis Podcast at YouTube, on IG. Thanks for listening. <sighs> you know I smoked a lot of grass. Oh, Lord, I popped a lot of pills. But I've never touched nothing mm-hmm, that my spirit could kill. 
You know I've seen a lot of people walking around with tombstones in their eyes. Goddamn, the pusher. 